This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Well, good afternoon. Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox, and in just a few minutes, futurist Nicholas Badminton will join us with five predictions and questions for 2019, along with his forecast for a cash-free world. Oh, and we'll talk about the impact of robotics in our lives. You get the idea. A conversation with a futurist is always better when you jump in as well, so we'll open up the phone lines in just a few minutes. But first, here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. And a week ago, the money biz had Lines were all about Apple. This week, Samsung is the latest tech giant to warn that its business is suffering. Samsung said Tuesday its fourth quarter operating profit is set to drop nearly 30% from last year, well below forecast. It blamed the drop on lackluster demand for its memory chips and intensifying competition in the smartphone industry. Now, Samsung, the world's largest smart- smartphone maker, didn't mention China specifically in its earnings guidance on Tuesday, but it said mounting macroeconomic uncertainties are affecting its business. Hmm, could that be China? China, by the way, is the world's largest smartphone market and is experiencing a deepening economic slowdown that's affecting businesses around the world. As well as selling its own phones, Samsung supplies key parts like chips and display screens to other major device manufacturers. Even Apple's latest iPhones use Samsung's OLED screens. Hey, want to buy a gas station? How about 500 gas stations. Boy, have we got a deal for you. Husky Energy says it's looking at getting out of retailing fuels to consumers after 80 years in the business. The Calgary-based Husky says it's launching a strategic review that could result in it selling its Canadian retail and commercial fuels businesses, as well as its small Prince George refinery. Husky has more than 500 service stations, some with terrific restaurants, travel centers, card lock operations, and bulk distribution facilities from BC to New Brunswick. Its My Husky Rewards loyalty program has about a million and a half members. The 12,000 barrel a day refinery in Prince George processes light oil into gasoline, diesel, and other products for nearby regions in BC. It owns two refineries and is half owner of a third in the United States. Industry analysts say the expected value of these assets, including the 500 gas stations, oh, how about $835 million? And the Husky CEO expects a lot of interest. Also in the cards this weekend, the World Juniors Tournament is over and everybody's gone home, but the numbers just finally arrived this week and our local hospitality industry definitely got a boost. Hockey Canada's preliminary estimates suggest between 35 and 45 million was spent here in Vancouver on bars, hotels, restaurants, and of course in the rink itself over the course of the 11-day tournament. The numbers in Victoria sit between 10 and 15 million dollars and those totals cover right up until the Conclusion of Saturday night's final. So, a combined Vancouver Victoria total of between 45 and 60 million bucks. About 305 fans were in the seats of both cities, representing a per game average attendance of just under, just over rather, 12,500 in Vancouver and just over 6,000 in Victoria. Even after Canada's, well, untimely 2 to 1 loss to the Finns in the quarterfinals, the final four games down at Rogers, no, I was going to say at Rogers Arena, had an average attendance still of about 14,500. So uh, organizing co-chair Ron Toigo says, of course, it was a great
great success. This one will check all the boxes. Big bonus, too, for the hospitality people for what is really uh, usually uh, a very slow time of the year. Oh, and as long as we're checking off notable numbers, let's try this one. 5,017,000. That's the new official population of British Columbia as of the fourth quarter of last year, October 1st, actually. We broke through the 5 million mark in a year that saw us grow by 1.4%, but also 2018 saw many of us leave for other reasons, in many cases saying work and affordable housing were the main reasons. Still, the economy and the tax base is strong, and over 70,000 people moved to B.C. last year. Central One Credit Union projects we should expect continued growth again this year. And finally, travelers heading to and from Vancouver Island by ferry later this month will have a weekend where things won't be operating as usual. B.C. Ferries announced this week the Duke Point Terminal in Nanaimo will close for two days, and so service from to and from Tawasin will be rerouted to Departure Bay. That is for the weekend of Saturday the 26th and Sunday, January 27th, in order to have the vehicle ramp and apron at Duke Point replaced. They haven't been touched, basically, since 1997. Passengers will sail to the mainland out of Departure Bay instead of Duke Point for that weekend, and the times will be different, too, from the Duke Point to Wasson regular schedule. All the stuff will be online at BC Ferries website. More consumer stories coming up later in the show. In just a very few moments, futurist Nicholas Badminton will Join us on Vancouver Consumer. Keep it right here on 980 CKNW. Welcome back to the program this nice, sunny Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox, joined in studio by futurist Nicholas Badminton. Hi, Nick. Welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having me. Always a pleasure. Oh, uh, well, It's good to have you back. We yep. haven't uh, talked in a long time. I know you're uh, a regular visitor with Linda Steele, and yep. uh, it's nice to finally have you pop in on our show. Happy to be here. Uh, interesting. Nick just uh, told me uh, during the break that you, uh, you hadn't heard the announcement from Husky Energy yeah. that they want to sell their, their the whole shooting match for eight hundred and some odd million dollars. You spoke at a at a, a fuel providers conference a couple of years ago, yeah. and you actually predicted this, and you made everybody in the room mad at you. Well, you know the, the, these are family businesses that've been in they've been around for generations and generations. They want their kids to take over the business. That's never going to happen now. Um, you know we're, we're careering to, towards a world that will not be burning oil for transportation. Mm-hmm. So this is inevitable and. This is th- these are just bellwethers to much larger changes. But what five five hundred gas stations? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's that, that's huge. I mean, where are the gas stations going in Vancouver? I mean, there's going to be like one gas station in Vancouver within like three or five years. Uh, only because the real estate that uh, provides the uh, gas station is simply too expensive to to waste on a on a service station. Why not put a condo up? As has been the case with we've seen a few of them in the downtown core just vanish in the last year, Nick. Yeah, absolutely. And electric vehicles. I drove here today in my electric vehicle. Um, it's going to change the game. Does it surprise you though? And this was in the in the paper just the other morning about electric vehicle sales. While the governments are certainly enthusiastically promoting them, uh, to a lesser extent now in Ontario with the newer government taking away some of the rebate activity, but nonetheless, governments uh, coast to coast are being very enthusiastic proponents. Yeah. 
consumers are not following along in the kinds of numbers governments were expecting us to so far. I, you know what? It's really interesting. The amount of people that walk up to me when I'm plugging my car in, whether it's in, uh, you know, in, in a parkade like I just did just now, or whether it's down at a beach and I can plug in there. The, the number of people that come up and ask me uh, about it and, and their, their, their interest is peaked, and, and these are older people with money that sure. can spend the money on these vehicles. Um, it, it's, it's, it's astounding. And, and it's not going to be, it's not going to really, people aren't going to switch in droves like people would love them to. Right. Right. Um, or obviously, all companies don't want them to. Um, but by 2030, the world's going to look completely different. The, the electrification of personal transportation, even ownership of vehicles, is going to change. Completely. I, I think the biggie for us here in Canada, Nick, is because we are so few in terms of population in the second largest country on earth. Distance and the ability yeah. for the vehicle to handle distance yeah. is critical for Canadians, and they're just not there yet. Yeah, it's really. Really, really tough. I, I I surveyed a route from from here in Vancouver to Toronto, and uh, there's a, where you could fill up all the way across. Yeah, you hit a pretty dark spot just out of Calgary, between Calgary and Thunder Bay. It's uh, tough times. Oh, really? Yeah, you, you you pretty much it's few and far between. Uh, the, the best way to do it would be to drop down into the states where you've got a lot more charges sure. actually on, on the way. So yeah, there's still a lot of work to be done. I, I just heard in Ontario that they've been ripping out. Um, you know, fast charges and level two charging stations because they haven't been used. It's like this. This isn't how you get people to change. Right. You don't take away their technology yeah. before they bought the new vehicle. Yeah. You know that that's actually a hook to buy the technology. Right? Sure. So I, I don't know. Um, I, I took the leap this year into buying an electric vehicle. What uh, kind did you get? I, I bought a Chevrolet Bolt. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's very fast. It's very fun. Uh, it's it's just. Amazing. I've driven like 4,000 kilometers since I bought it in uh, June, and I've spent almost no money on fuel. Right. And had no impact on the environment. And some people will say, oh, the batteries, you know, it's bad to make the batteries. Yeah. But then I don't burn fuel for the next 30 years. And in fact, you know, the average age of a car is about 12, 12 to 15 years. The average age of an electric vehicle like mine would be like 30, 35 years. Interesting. Okay. Just yeah. because of wear and tear factors. Yeah. Right? And there's actually a, a vehicle that's used in a lot of... Um, sort of a concierge kind of travel down in California. It's a Tesla Model S. Right. They just hit 500,000 miles. And it will be it'll be like one of the first million, million mile cars in the world. I have a friend who just got a new Tesla. And the, the first thing she says, and everybody who she yeah. takes for a ride for, it's really fast. Yeah, they're, they're all really fast. My, my car is is so fast, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you, and I promoted the fact, so we better get to it here. I'm going to open up cool. the phone line, 604-280-9898. They're officially open as of this moment to Nicholas Badminton and me. Uh, Nicholas, on his website, nicholasbadminton.com, has uh, created a, a piece called Five Predictions and Questions. Yeah. for 2019 and you did this just before christmas so do you mind if i read the prediction and you ask the question yeah. that the prediction basically uh creates absolutely so here's prediction number one according to nick badminton there will be increasing tension between technology giants and governments yeah absolutely so the the, the big question here is will the con- the continually swinging swinging pendulum of technology mogul mogul adulation ah. so our love of like facebook and Amazon and Google or whoever um, versus warning shots against political aspirations continue. Explain. Explain, right. So... uh 
what we've got is uh, we've got Amazon that have just recently announced HQ2, which is their second large HQ outside of Seattle in, in America. Right. Where was it going to be? It was a big crab shoot. Mm-hmm. Like hundred, uh, Vancouver uh, got involved. Yeah. Toronto got involved. <laughs> Vancouver didn't do a very good job of it. No. I, I, but do you know what? We've got enough business from, from Amazon coming. But but who who won? Um, Long Island and um, just outside of Washington, D.C., in an area called Crystal City. Right. Jeff Bezos wants to be close to government in the U.S. People like Mark Zuckerberg and, and him going through all these, uh, you know, these Senate hearings, that was basically the Senate telling Mark Zuckerberg to back off from political aspirations. So you, you'll have people like even like Larry Page and the, the founders from behind Google and, and YouTube and whatever. All these people have got a huge amount of sway, a huge amount of money. And what does that normally do in, in an American society? Right it drives those people towards political aspirations, either as funders or people to actually be in politics, right? Jeff Bezos becoming president of the USA? Well, you know, we would have said, and, and most people, yeah, right, sure. We would have said the same thing about Donald Trump three years ago, wouldn't we? Yeah, yeah right, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about Zuckerberg? You think a guy like that has political ambitions? I, I mean, I, he's only worth how many billions of dollars? Yeah, he, he, he does have political aspirations, obviously. He's, he's got the Zuckerberg Chan Foundation. You know, he's pledged to, like, give away, you know, most of his money. The influence he's got, he's going through some really tough times you know, he's still a really young guy. In 30 years' time, when he's like, what, 64, 65, do I think that he'd be in the political arena? I think he'd be in a good position to be that way if, mm. he, if he continually works at, at hustling the way that he's hustling. Which, right? is, which is more dangerous, uh, a, a, a big financier like a, a Bezos or a Zuckerberg going for a political assignment or being the figure, the shadow behind whoever that is with the bags and bags of money? Because, of course, in America, he or she who has the most money wins. It's about ego, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> People that want to be president, there's an element of that which is oh, ego, just a little e- yeah. e- ego and stage. I actually think that ego and stage plays a huge role in in a tech mogul's sort of uh, lifetime. Okay, let's go to prediction number two. This is yeah. interesting. Smart cities will lead to citizen assimilation. Acceleration will continue. And city administrations are not ready. Yeah, they're not. And how will we create collaborative and mutually beneficial approaches towards ownership of our, our cities and the data that we generate within them and the ability to build out the roadmap for communities for our future? So this is the idea that technology is going to come into our roads, into our buildings, into the schools, into you know uh, the malls and whatever. And we are going to be parts of the product of that city. And, and by product, I mean that our, beha- our consumer behaviors, um, our moods, the people that we talk to, the networks that are generated in real life, right. offline, are actually going to be sucked into an online world, and that is going to be valuable data. There's, there's already been a lot of discussion around this data and ownership in Toronto with, with the waterfront development that's happening there, and I go to Toronto a lot, and I talk about this a lot as well. Right. And, uh, and we're it, also seeing a lot of facial recognition <clears throat> technology being experimented with around the world, where shoppers can be tracked as they go through a mall, let alone a store. Yeah. And their moods can be can be tracked even as they find something that excites them. The heartbeat increases. And, and uh, Walmart is experimenting with a shopping cart yes. that has something built into the handle that can measure your heartbeat. 
Yeah, I know. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is kind of like... I don't know whether it's amazing or insidious. Well, it's that Orwellian world of, of tracking everything that we do, um, you know. And it's like, trust us, you know, you crossing the threshold of this shop means that you've signed signed off on the terms and conditions right. of usage. Right. We own your face. We own your, your biometrics. We own, you know, the networks that you follow in the store. I mean, o- over the last few years, I've actually written about a number of things like swarm technology that could track um, your IMSI numbers and, and your your the chips in your phone around shopping centers that got shut down in the states. It was a little bit too creepy. But facial recognition technology, it's security. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need this and whatever. But you still sign away all of your data. And this is this is being manifested in something called the social credit system in China as well, uh, which is everyone gets a number, everyone gets a score, and it's all about you being a good citizen. Uh, if, you, if you drop down the scale, you lose rights to be able to be out on the streets at night, be able to travel, all sorts of things. Mm, it's like a Black Mirror episode. So if, if indeed um, cit- if city administrations aren't ready for the to be a smart city, yeah. because Vancouver's been bragging about this forever in a day, yeah. and is likely as not ready as any other city in North America. So what does city need to do, Nick? Yeah, I mean, they need to experiment, and they need to learn, and they need to scale up their teams. They need to have a larger cybersecurity forces, people that do data science. They need to work out how the ethics around data ownership uh, and usage of data works for the citizen. That's the big key in, in this entire debate around smart cities. Um, and they, they need to do this at scale. And they're just not there today. So how do you do that? How do you fund that? How do you find the right people? It's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there cities that are better at it that w- you would point to as, well, you know, if you want to see a model, not yeah. perfect by any stretch, but a city that's definitely heading in the right direction, where would you go? Yeah. I mean, you've got cities like Songdo, which is just out of uh, outside of Seoul in South Korea that were built from the ground up with technology. But what's interesting to me is places like... Uh, places like Barcelona that put in smart light technology, parking meter technology and whatever have generated like over 40,000 jobs over the past sort of 10, 15 years and uh, have managed to really implement technology in a very smart way. Also, New York um, does some amazing things. Uh, It's turned its uh, public phone network into a public Wi-Fi network. It's got applications. It's got all sorts of sensors in the city that actually work for the citizens. So these small applications um, can work very, very well, but you have to back that up with the people with the skill set behind it. Uh, there's uh, DiBaggio in, in New York is starting to brag a little about lowering, cl- decreasing crime numbers. Yeah. Could that be a, a consequence of the smartness that his city has taken? Yeah, absolutely. In New York City, there's actually microphones that can tell if a gunshot's gone off. Ah, There's all sorts of things that, that are really, really smart. But it's also, like you say, you use the word insidious, and it's a little bit... You know, well, what, you, you said creepy. I said insidious, I, and in many ways, they're both, aren't they? You know, if, if suddenly I'm in the Bronx in New York City, which is actually a fantastic place, I raise my voice, and someone else raises, and we have an argument. Does a cop car turn up because some microphones have, you know, some uh, longer range microphones have picked up the conversation? You know, it's, this is this gets really, really. Uh, complicated. All right, I need to take a break for the news. We're only two predictions into the five for 2019, combined, of course, with the questions. Our guest is futurist Nicholas Badminton. You're listening to Vancouver Consumer, and we're back with lots more after the news.
Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer this Saturday afternoon. Sterling Fox in studio with futurist Nick Badminton, who's uh, just in the middle of his five predictions and questions for 2019. Prediction number one, there will be increasing tension between technology giants and governments. Prediction number two, smart cities will lead to citizen assimilation. Acceleration will continue. And city administrations are not ready. So here's prediction number three of the five and for your comment because you have a question that you attach to every prediction nick so here's the prediction you hit me with the question number three economic protectionism will be rife and the great global ai ethics debates will begin yeah, so how will country-level policy and economic planning react to and adjust to automation at, at scale and deployment of technologies, um, you know, artificial intelligence, such like, that fully ro- robotize algorithmic human work? So this is about removing humans from tasks that can be done easily by machines. So, so Something that's been happening all of our lifetimes, yes. and yet it now seems to be taking, it seems to have changed gears, and it's happening at a greater speed. Because it's, it's now, it can now do intellectual work so for for example jp morgan rolled out a system called coin it was a couple of years ago and and coin could actually process corporate agreements at scale and it did uh was it th- it was it was like three hundred and eighty thousand man hours of work in about four seconds wow yeah, because because you know lawyers they they follow rules administrators mm-hmm. they follow rules artificial intelligence can do all of it at scale right done right now and economic protectionism will be rife was yeah. the first part of prediction number three we see it of course in the trump administration next yeah. door and we're starting to see more of it around the world so you're you're predicting that this it will intensify as 2019 unfolds yeah so um the, the people that run countries slow they, they control the pace of the country in terms of its development especially with technology this kind of technology is going to come in and it's it's going to it's going to start to decimate things like people that drive trucks, self-driving trucks, and taxis, self-driving taxis, uh, you know, municipal transportation, people that work in retail, people that work in banking. Uh, you know, all of these jobs, they're quite a significant amount of jobs, sure. are going to be affected. Um, but, you know, I talk about a future which is about human and the machine. I truly believe that our wisdom... And the way that we operate with our creativity and, and we can apply that to problems and, 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 and situations is incredibly important. Now, what, what organizations need to do is actually choose to have a human as part of the solution. And this is what governments are going to try and work out. Right. Now, we see, for example, on the consumer level, we see, for example, as something as simple as getting your groceries. Yes. Uh, now they have, they've reduced the number of live people in the store. Yes. They want you to go to one of those self-checkout machines. Mm-hmm. And now the technology is already at play in many supermarkets, especially in the States, where as you go along, you simply scan each item that you put into your basket. And by the time you get to the, to the front to, uh, to leave, it's already tallied up and you scan your phone and it's done. Yeah, and and you've even got stores like da- Amazon Go down in uh, Seattle that have got cameras in the roof. They use RFID pressure sensor shelves, and you can walk in. You can put whatever in your bag. As at least uh, if you've scanned your application, you just walk out. Mm-hmm. And they call it just walk out technology. That's and, right. And it uses sensor fusion. Uh, and and what's really interesting about that, the facial recognition and everything, it brings the offline data capture in line with the online data capture, and Amazon becomes even bigger and stronger. Right. Ah. 
Uh, well, you see, that's a, a lot of people would see that as the downside, <laughs> but it, it, it's inevitable. The Amazon Go technology and and, and people like Walmart and, and Microsoft are working together to, to roll out very similar technologies is going to completely revolutionize grocery shopping at scale and other kinds of shopping at scale. As and well. those who simply resist, yeah. who refuse to go to a self checkout, I'm gonna I'm gonna get my money and hand it over to a human being. Uh, I mean. They may keep a line in the in the supermarket open for you, but they're ignoring your protests. What quality conversations do you have with cashiers in supermarkets? Mm, okay, prediction number four. <laughs> <laughs> Many of us are too busy reading the trashy mags. Well, that's right. Huh? Prediction number four: yeah. the reinvention of education starts. And the talent pooling from fifth grade and even earlier yeah. will begin. Yeah, we're going to allow and encourage large, powerful companies and you know, banking, technology companies, whatever, to recruit our children earlier and earlier uh, to ensure them a prosperous future. You know, you know, will we let these companies step in? This is really interesting. I think that the education system has been broken for decades, and it doesn't work for everyone. And, and people are trying to work out how do we, how do we ensure that our children are educated in the right way, mm-hmm. and 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 how are they going to be ready for the world? I mean, one stat that's been flying around for the past few years is like sixty five percent of jobs that kids will do in the future don't exist today. I don't know if that's exactly true as a statistic, but you know the future is going to be very different. I actually, dro- I actually dropped out of school. It didn't work for me. I actually then went away, did some work, then went back to college and, and focused in on something I really wanted. Right, I, exactly. You know, the syllabus, and I, I've chatted to a lot of ministries across Canada and down in the States as well about education systems. And, and we're just not, it's just not working. You know, learn how to read, learn how to write, learn trigonometry and mathematics and now it's sure. But then, why, why aren't we teaching our kids creative problem solving, how to be entrepreneurs, how to, how to like balance you know, their business accounts, mm-hmm. and how to be entrepreneurs? That, that's where we need to be going. And what's going to happen is the talent – companies like Google, companies like Facebook, whoever, they need to hire – hundreds of people every week so that they can grow and so they can do more in the world. And what they're going to do is they're going to find the kids and they're going to have academies and they're going to bring them straight in. So there's this whole notion that you're talking about the talent pooling of, of kids from yeah. fifth grade or even earlier will begin as companies what? They, they, and it's not, it's not like in a communist country back in the old Soviet Union, you no. know, when you were in grade five, you will be a construction worker yeah. and that's it. You, you, there are no choice. The state has decided on your behalf that your career will be this. Yeah, so that, so that's, it's not that kind of thing. No, but what's going to happen is uh, there's going to be a family. Their daughter Maria is 13. She shows a huge aptitude around data and robotics and whatever at school because they do that now right sure and google pay her twenty thousand dollars a year to finish school at the age of 16 it comes into their you know higher education academy and she works for google ah okay here's prediction number five and this is really interesting we've already talked about this uh, before yeah. we even got on the radio because i this is one of <laughs> this is a pet uh, topic of mine prediction yeah. number five the fight for africa will heat up. Yeah, it sure will. Um, will. Will China or America win the battle for natural resources, water supply, global energy, and how um, big? How will big technology companies capture the next billion platform users? These are the goals. What's really interesting, I was looking up a stat earlier. And you were just in Africa, literally a few Africa. days ago. You were in North Africa and Morocco literally yeah. a few days ago. I was there on Monday. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it's why it's a, it's a different it's a it's a it's a wild frontier. But out Nick, there. over the last couple of years, we have watched China yeah. aggressively, very very aggressively, try literally to buy yes. Africa. So so there's some reasons behind this. So if we if we just look at some stats here, there's 1.2 billion people in Africa, right? Um, very very smart people. Over a thousand, a thousand languages are spoken there, uh, and so it's a cultural hub as well. And Africa's land area exceeds that of China, Europe, and the USA combined. Which basically, you look at that, you know, the Democratic Republic of Congo, places like that. These are these are resource rich countries. Africa, abundant sunshine abundant natural resources, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? Um, and what's really interesting is China and America have been buying up swathes of land. And why have they been buying it? They've been buying that for agricultural purposes, natural resources, and more importantly, water. Yes. W- water is going to be um, one of the biggest uh, traded commodities over the next uh, 20 to 25 years. Uh, Michael Burry, the guy that did the big short, right? 2007, 2008. Right. Um, his focus now is buying up um, the ability to have access to access to aquifer. Ah, it's it's pretty wild. If you if you actually look at Africa, it's it's the fastest growing middle class in the world. So if if we know that, we know that there's a huge uh, economic opportunity there for any any com- company that can enable those people to do more, build more business. And if you've ever sat down with African business leaders or political leaders. Their drive is incredible. They're so smart, so driven, you know. And and, 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 and yet I think typically, Nick, a, a North American reaction to Africa would be it's a kind of a backward place uh, full of people with, you know, great potential, but unfortunately almost zero education and therefore not a lot of future. It, it's almost... Per- that's, that's a typical North American reaction, <clears throat> yeah, isn't it? It's kind of a backward place, you th- know. Th- this really, really gets uh, big tech companies excited, right? Yeah. Because, hey, you know what? We can enable these kids to be something more. We, we can provide them with the tools and the platforms. We can provide them with everything they need. And suddenly, you know, <laughs> and you, you've got an entire, you know, population of a continent that's, that's sort of plugged in. Uh, the World Bank does tons of work out of Kenya and, and Ghana. The USA is really screwing up right now because of international policy. Um, they're kind of ignoring Africa, yeah. which is a, a ridiculous thing. China has been going in deep on Africa for a long time. Very long. Um, and they're building infrastructure and they're paying for it and it's really benefiting you know africa as a whole but they want to own they they want to own the people they want to own the resources they want to re- own the ability that that country is going to give to the world second to that india um but like you know africa india whew, like four like four billion people i think globally i think but if you uh, i suppose the the risk yeah. From, for a company, a country rather like China, is yeah. investing untold trillions yeah. in, in essentially buying Africa to suit their own agenda down the road. Of course. Uh, but then, you know, we've seen this. Colonial powers don't necessarily uh, end well in yeah. countries that they occupy, no matter how uh, generously. Uh, inevitably, some locals are going to go, you know, we don't really need the Chinese around here. To, it's, this is our country. Yeah. We'd really prefer to do it our way. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of communism in Africa as well. Yeah. I mean, China's kind of a new communism. Some would argue that there's a lot of countries, Ethiopia, for example, there's a new... Already sort of in that vein anyway. Yeah. Who are you going to partner with? You're going to partner with someone that truly believes it's got a, a, a long stream of money that can help you. Um, you're going to try and uh, you're, you're going to try and level up the country in, in, in the best way possible. I think Africa is fascinating. It's... 
It's wild. And so the rest of us ignore them at our peril. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I want to talk about money because you just you keep mentioning money. Yes. And and one of the things that is on your website, it's nicholasbadminton.com, by the way, friends, if you want to check out Nick's work and, and some more of his predictions and that sort of thing. But one of the things, now we've been talking about this here in Canada for a long time, but the whole notion of a cashless society, uh, we're really moving again much more rapidly towards that in the last couple of years than we have. We've been talking about it for 10, 15, years, Nick, yeah. but we've really zoomed or accelerated the pace in the last two, haven't we? Yeah, I mean, many people don't even walk around with cash in, in their pockets. If you if you look at places like Norway and Sweden, whatever, it's almost impossible to do anything with money. I had a friend in, in Norway actually try, he, he, someone gave him like 3,000 euros and he said he went into the bank and tried to pay it into his bank account and couldn't because that, that branch wasn't actually set up to handle money. Really? That, yeah, that's going to be a future. It's, it's really interesting. I, I actually did a presentation. That, to, that's a bit baffling to the to, to a Canadian ear at this point, a bank branch that is actually not ready to take your yeah. money. I, I was in a bank branch in London um, just a week and a half ago, and <laughs> I didn't know where to sit. And then I sat down, I was chatting to like the bank manager that was sat at some sort of, it was like a co-working space in the corner. I, I was completely bemused. And they're like, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'm like... This is wild, like it, a completely uh, a complete change in banking. So, a cashless society, how inevitable is it? I think it is going to be hugely inevitable. I think inevitable from the fact that you know we'll be using our mobile phones. Sure, um, and you see that more Apple yeah. Pay and all of that sort yeah. of thing. Sure. Um, and you know, you go to Europe, and you go to China, things like WePay, Apple Pay, mm-hmm. AliPay, whatever. It, it's everywhere. Um, you do have uh, there's still a lot of people that do use cash down in the states and I, I did some research on this early in the year actually presented it in, in Las Vegas uh, um, in the middle of the year last year um, to, to a bunch of business owners and uh, American millennials are spending cash 80% of the money that they spend is in cash Okay, why? Because they work, they get paid in cash they bypass the tax man and they pay for services in cash right so there's this sort of underground society, um, and there, there there's all sorts of underground. There's all sorts of people that are fighting against the cashless society. I think it's in in Norway. <clears throat> there's an organisation that's saying we still need cash and whatever. It gives us power and whatever, and and they're not wrong um, because cash has been used to bypass, uh, you know, taxation and a whole bunch of other sort of formal ways of we're, managing We're, we're money. almost out of time, but yeah. I, I need you to go just one step beyond money and talk a little bit about cryptocurrency, because yeah. this is already the money replacement for a few. Yeah, no. I would say a, 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 <laughs> a baffled few, but yeah. nonetheless, there are some devotees. It's, it, it doesn't replace money. And that upsets a lot of people that I know that work in crypto. I mean, you know, it, it, Bitcoin or whatever, bit, Bitcoin, right? Ethereum, whatever. Mm-hmm. I own crypto. Uh, I just want to understand how it works as a platform. I think it's really interesting technology. I think that um, having currency um, that can be traded in a way like cryptocurrency can be useful. I've, I've actually got a friend that put twenty thousand dollars in and took out four point six million and bought a hotel in Florida. Oh my! But he knew that the, the troubles were coming. Right. Bitcoin got so big that. It can no longer be used to buy anything. Right. Whereas in the early days of Bitcoin, you could literally go to places like Berlin or even places in Vancouver and you could spend your Bitcoin because it was it was kind of like currency. And now it's it's just inflated into something that's, you know, a pump and dump kind of investment fund. 
Interesting stuff. Nicholas Badminton, friends. We're about to lose him. Nick's about to move to the center of the universe. He's going to head to Toronto and take his life in his hands because it's busier there for you these days than it is here in Vancouver where you've been for the last 10 years. We're going to miss yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, and I hope you're going to remember who we are back here and occasionally pick up a phone and uh, jump in on one of our conversations. For sure. And I'll be back here every sort of four or five weeks anyway, I'm sure. I hope so. Yep. NicholasBadminton.com. It's a very interesting and kind of fun website. Check it out friends. Nick, thanks very much. Thank you. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to futurist Nicholas Badminton for a fascinating visit. Appreciated very much. Next hour, the world-class dentists from BC Perio make their first appearance of the new year. It's time now for Dooley Noted. And this time around, our producer Ben Dooley has a look at the Lyft and Company Cannabis Expo. Thanks, Sterling. A haze of uncertainty has been lifted over the convention floor of this year's Lyft & Co. Cannabis Expo in Vancouver. Legalization in Canada is breathing a new level of confidence in the industry. Here's Nick Pateris, Lyft & Co. Vice President of Strategy & Growth. We're seeing a lot of new vendors, a lot of people who maybe weren't as comfortable approaching the idea of cannabis before. It's the first major cannabis convention to hit Metro Vancouver since legalization, drawing in new mainstream companies for the very first time. A recent Statistics Canada report showed the average price per gram of illicit cannabis was still about $3 cheaper than its legal competition. Legal producers say they're still dealing with enormous upfront costs and limited supply. The price is expected to become more competitive within a couple of years. Another larger hurdle in achieving the goal of driving illegal drug dealers out of business is the sluggish licensing process for illegal storefronts. Some cities like Richmond have prohibited the retail of recreational cannabis altogether. Vendors say the industry as a whole is working to address some of these shortfalls in hopes the change in culture and conventions like this will continue to destigmatize the fast-growing market. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before the news. And if you, like me, are a big fan of wooden roller coasters, particularly ours, you'll be pleased to learn our scary, delightfully creaky wooden roller coaster has been ranked number 12 in the world in a global survey by Elo Coaster. Sure, there are bigger, faster, and much trickier steel coaster rides, but part of the thrill of the wooden coaster is the creaking. Playland's coaster runs exactly as it has since 1958, with handbrakes, classic trains, and genuinely terrifying airtime, says the survey. And number one isn't too far away. It's 25 Tremors in Silverwood, Idaho. The top 25 in the world list contains wooden roller coasters from South Korea to Germany to all over the USA, and one right here in Vancouver at the PNE. One of the many exciting events that's part of Dine Out Vancouver is Street Food City, a week of different style eating that will turn the Vancouver Art Gallery Plaza into a pop-up food truck pod with over 20 food trucks for the week of January 21st to 27th. Participating street food vendors and trucks and carts will rotate throughout the week. That means you'll find a different lineup of vendors there daily. And no worries about where to eat or being rained on. Lots of on-site seating with tents. They thought about it. That's the Vancouver. You got to have a what happens if it rains plan B. That's coming up 
21st of the month until the 27th. Lots more details at dineoutvancouver.com. Those are some more of the week's top consumer stories we're following. We'll have even more for you coming up in our next hour. We'll break for the news right now. And then Dr. Ron Zokel from BC Perio will join us with his look ahead at 2019 in the world of dentistry. Stay with us. This is Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.